Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey friends, this is part one of a two-part episode on separation anxiety. In this part, I'm going to go through my dog Iggy's story regarding separation anxiety. And in the next part, I'm actually going to interview the professional that I consulted with to help her. So I'm really excited about that one. And I thought I would give you the rundown on what Iggy and I kind of went through before we launched that other episode. So it all started with severe crate distress as a puppy, Uh, much, much worse than normal kind of puppy fussiness in a crate. Um, At the time, Iggy's 11, I didn't really realize, I knew that it was bad, but I didn't realize that it was as abnormal as um, it actually was. I talked to my colleagues and, you know, they all agreed she's just a puppy. You know, let her have her tantrum in the crate. It's fine. When she stops, let her out. You know, never mind the fact that she would, at seven pounds, climb a four-foot X-pen and launch herself um, out of it if I left her in it in the house. Never mind that she would scream and vocalize and have diarrhea and also urinate in her crate as a puppy when I left her at home. Um, Looking back at it now, you guys, I feel so sad that I didn't have the tools that I have now when it comes to crate training. And I'm, I'm sorry for too itchy. I want to apologize to her every day for the rest of her life for the fact that I didn't, you know, not listen to the advice I was given. I wish that I had, you know, kept digging until I found different answers. But I'm sort of, you know, we're sort of trained not to do that. We're sort of trained to say, you know, I'm going to ask my colleagues, I'm going to go to my cabinet. If they all kind of agree that I'm going to go down that path. So try to have some self-compassion there and know that, you know, not everybody knows, you you can't know everything at any one time in your life. And um, perhaps this is all how it was supposed to happen because I'm now familiar with crate issues as well as separation anxiety on a level that I may not have been um, if had this not happened. So She was always fine in a crate in my car, though, which was kind of the saving grace and was actually how I how I um, landed on my happy crating protocol today, because one of my big questions was, why was she fine in a crate in a car and why was she not fine in a crate in my house? And I think the answer is that the crate in the car offered her the kind of systematic desensitization that she needed because she'd be in the crate in the car for a little while and then she'd come out and then she'd be in there maybe a little while longer and then she'd come out and I was always right there but I was not actively paying attention to her and no reinforcers were really present for her to worry about. 
Meanwhile, crates outside of the car. Um, I played Susan Garrett's crate games pretty religiously. I taught her all of those cool things. She could hang out in a crate with the door open while I taught class as young as five months of age. But she could not be in a crate with a closed door in my home. Um, and then she also really struggled in crates at dog shows or dog classes too. So I pretty much crated out of the car. Um, if I tried to leave her in a crate as an adult, so that was kind of as a puppy. So fast forward, I had started bringing her to work pretty much every day and she just hung out in a crate in my car or in a kennel run with my other dog um, during the day and that was fine. But if I had to leave her crated somewhere, she would vocalize excessively. I don't know if she would vocalize the entire time, but I could hear her as I was leaving and I could hear her as I was arriving. So probably she stopped somewhere in between, but I don't, you know, I didn't use video technology at the time to figure out if she was doing it the entire time or not. I freaking hope not. <laughs> Poor baby. Um, anorexia, meaning she would not eat. So I'd leave her with a raw bone or a Kong and she wouldn't touch it. Or she'd chew it a little bit but not finish it, which is not like her. Um, and then residual stress behaviors, so more snarkiness towards other dogs, more raiding the trash cans, which is kind of a stress behavior for her. Uh, she's a stress eater, like many of us. Um, and she also, when I would get home, just had these physiological classic signs of stress. Big, fat pupils. Um, her commissure, the corners of her mouth were pulled back tight in a stress pant. She had obviously drooled in the bottom of her crate. Um, and she would just have this really <laughs> like fast breathing with maybe a little vocalization in there while she frantically moved around me and, you know, rubbed her body on me when I got home. And, um, you know, none of that's okay. Like that's, that's all a level of stress that I'm not comfortable with, even though so many of my friends and colleagues assured me, you know, she's okay. She's not committing self-harm. She's not trying to break out of the crate. You know, some dogs break their teeth off in the crate. Some dogs chew their skin off. Um, she wasn't doing any of that stuff. So everybody was like, you know, it's okay. It's fine. But she's my heart and it wasn't fine. So I basically just started to avoid it. This was when I was still living in Colorado. Um, she could be in the car so well that when the weather permitted, she pretty much just went everywhere I went. And when she couldn't, because the weather was too hot, um, she could stay with my parents because I didn't live that far from them. And my dad worked from home at the time. So she just hung out with my dad and it's one of her favorite people in the world. So it was great. But then I moved to Washington State moved away from my support system and my family and um we were back at square one it was also the move was really stressful for her as well so i did attempt one night leslie and i wanted to go out i had tried to just leave her loose in a baby gated room with um stig who's her favorite of the other dogs and came back to really classic signs of separation anxiety or distress chewing at exits um so she had chewed and clawed at a door um, she had jumped a baby gate too, which I had never seen her do. I've never seen it with my eyes, but she's obviously capable of doing it. Um, and then again, that stealing food. So she had jumped a baby gate into the kitchen, had shredded the door to the garage in the kitchen, and then broken into some cabinets and eaten food. Clearly she was in distress. And then she had those same physiological signs of um, anxiety when I got home and the residual stress as well. 
so I stopped leaving her again. Um, I, I even hired a babysitter or asked a friend to babysit her if Leslie and I wanted to go. I think we went to a concert literally once and I had a friend come and sit with her. A very, very generous friend. Um, and I realized, you know, I don't think I can do this on my own. And that's when I looked into Milena Demartini's company and Milena is kind of known in the dog training world as being kind of a separation anxiety guru. She wrote the book on it, literally. And um, up until reading Milena's book, I only had this booklet from Dr. Patricia McConnell, which was pioneering and wonderful for its time, but created a very specific problem for me. So I had followed the protocol in that book previously, um, which involves a lot of desensitization to departure cues. So you pick up your keys and you put them down. You don't do anything and you put your shoes on and then you don't go anywhere and you know, that kind of thing, as well as um, an attempt to counter condition the absence by giving a really amazing food treat like a stuffed Kong when you leave. So I got to the point where Iggy could eat her Kong or her raw bone in its entirety when I was gone. But as soon as it was done, she'd go straight back, back to those distress behaviors. And that's a really pretty common scenario, actually, um, which is why Milena's program focuses on straight desensitization and not an attempt to counter condition. Um, so... I should mention too that when we moved, I started Iggy on fluoxetine. So that is Prozac um, for that as well as um, an aggression issue with one of the other dogs. So she was on medication and I could also use Trazodone um, for absences with her. So basically I consulted with Milena's company and I, I wound up just doing kind of a colleague to colleague consults with one of her consultants. She's got a whole team of certified consultants that work for her. Um, so we did kind of a one-off chat where we exchanged information and we spoke on the phone and then we decided, you know, that I was going to proceed on my own with this, but that if I failed, I would come back and sign up for the whole program um, that they offer and be a client and not be a trainer. But I didn't fail. Um, I worked hard, I committed, and we really got somewhere. So I used a couple of things. I would, I did the desensitization process. I literally worked on leaving her in my office for minutes at a time. She, and it started with 30 seconds. She was a dog that would follow me from room to room and actually vocalize if I just left her in one half of the house to went, go to the other half of the house. So we worked first on just being able to leave her in my office. Um, and then I also did utilize a manners minder on a downstay function for a little while um, to increase the amount of time that she could stay home alone. And eventually was able to run to the grocery store with her in the office with the manners minder. Um, and that was helpful for her more so than like the Kong, which she would eat voraciously and then it would be gone and then she would panic. The manners minder would just spit out a cookie every couple of minutes. And so it was good for those short absences, but I was not kidding myself. I knew that that was not a long-term, um, you know, solution because there was no way I would get rid of the manners minder. If it was okay to leave her with the manners minder every time I left her, then it would have worked just fine. And that is okay with me, 
the problem is the thing might jam or the thing might run out of batteries, etc. And then where are we? Then we're kind of in trouble. Um, I videoed everything. So I would set up a, I have some very boring videos that I will post in the Patreon page um, of her just being alone, just being alone in my office you know, long, boring videos while I went away, um, you know, practice just leaving the house, coming right back in, leaving the house and starting my car, turning it off and coming back in, and then eventually going to the grocery store. Once I could go to the grocery store, which took about, on average, 30 minutes, I live pretty close to it, um, I could jump further. I could jump to an hour. Um, and that's, that's kind of what Melina reports is that you've got kind of a hump to get over. And once you get over it, then the process goes quicker and smoother. Um, I eventually went back to utilizing a crate for her once she could, once she was comfortable staying in a baby gated room while I left without the manners minder, I started utilizing a crate again. And now you guys, I'm so happy she can stay in a crate in my house for up to six hours and not have any of those residual stress pieces. I tend not to leave her for longer than that just because it's kind of one of my, um, you know, just personal thoughts on dog care is that maybe they shouldn't be crated for longer than that. I understand sometimes we have to crate them longer than that and I'm lucky that I can crate her for longer if I need to, but that's kind of my cap. Um, and that'll, you know, again, I don't see any of those residual stress behaviors and she will eat her entire Kong or her entire raw bone while she's in there. And I can, you know, I can come back in and find her lying down, you know, not vocalizing, not freaking out because that's what she used to do. You guys, she'd freak out the second I got home, really lots of vocalizing. Um, now I can come in, she has eaten her crate, she is lying down, she looks at me with soft eyes, she's fine. And I have to say that I've also really, really put the big emphasis on behavioral wellness with her. And if the behavioral wellness, so if the decompression walks and the enrichment um, start to slide, I will see some backsliding in these behaviors. I will see less of an ability to hang out in a crate. So those things are very much important too. So that's kind of the rundown on what I went through with Iggy, and I hope you will join me next week for my interview with Melena DiMartini. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron.